Amen. Take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and let's stand out of respect for the Word of God. Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter number 2. As you follow along, you can look there in your Bible if you have a copy of the Word of God, or you can follow the outline. Hopefully, you received one of those inside of the bulletin this morning. Luke chapter number 2. I'm beginning this morning a brand new Sunday morning series, and I've entitled it, Stop Minding Your Business and Start Minding the Father's. And you'll see that this morning in the message. And so as we begin, our focus is on Jesus doing God's will for his life. And I believe that's a great pattern for all of us. And so the passage this morning, our text is Luke 2, beginning in verse number 40. Follow along if you would this morning. The Bible says, And the child grew, talking about Jesus, and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt? With us. Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. I pray that you would bless your word this morning. Bless this new series. Help us, Lord, as we as we launch out with this new theme for the cause of Christ. Can't think of a better way than to look at what Jesus did in his life when he was here on this earth, how that he was all about doing his father's business. Lord, help us to see that pattern and help us to do the will of our Father, which art in heaven. Lord, I pray that you'd bless all that are here this morning Lord, may they be listening ears and receiving hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Our theme this year for 2019, for the cause of Christ. The word cause, there's another way that you can render that word cause, and it's simply to say business. In other words, when David said in 1 Samuel 17, is there not a cause. He's saying, is there not a business? Is there something we should be involved in? And as we start this new series, again, I want to concentrate my heart and life on doing what Jesus did, and that was he was busy about his father's business. Jesus said in John 9, 9 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Jesus' life 
It was live to do the Father's will, to do God's business. Uh, I think about oftentimes in our lives that we studied the life of David last week, how that's, ex- that's the same thing David wanted to do. He was busy doing what his father, now David not only did what his earthly father did, asked him to do, but it was a great stepping stone for him to do what God wanted him to do. See, if you learn in your life that God has placed you under authority, and you can respect the authority and you can obey the authority that you're under, then you won't have no problem obeying God because you'll understand as a Christian that you're under God's authority, that Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And as we understand in our lives, we are under that authority and we need to be understanding what God's business is, what the Father's business is. Has, have, have you ever had somebody ask you or say something like this to you whenever you're kind of, they're talking about something and you kind of lean over to hear what they're talking about? Or maybe while they're on the phone and you stop doing what you're doing and it's evident to them who are on the phone that you're listening to their conversation and they'll notice what you're doing and they'll say something like this, why don't you just mind your own business? I'm sure if you're like me, we probably have all heard that once or many times in our lives. That's just the human nature, right? We want to know everybody else's business. Uh, We want to mind everyone else's business, what's going on in our lives. That statement, when you hear that, why don't you just mind your own business, it's a statement that's made, and it's really made to someone that that person wants you or wants me to respect their privacy. All of us, again, may have been guilty one time, many times, often, every day, I don't know how often in your life, of sticking our noses where they don't belong, you know? We shouldn't always be trying to find out what's going on in other people's lives. I know this. I have a full-time job with myself. (laughs) I don't need to know everybody else's business. Sometimes people say to me, did you know about such and such? And I'll say, no, I didn't. I I have a few uh, sources of social media. I don't have many. And really the reason I use uh, the ones that I do is I just use them to communicate with friends and and maybe post some things about the Lord, things that would encourage people. And uh, sometimes I I have some just to keep up with my kids. I'm not on Facebook. And a lot of times I'll say something like that and people are like, you're not on Facebook? You know, there is life outside of Facebook, you know, like for instance, putting your face in the book. Some of you might get that later on. But this morning's message is really about a problem that many Christians have in their lives, and it's one that's profound. It has a profound impact on the success or the failure of God's business. You see, we need to understand, especially if we're saved this morning, that God, as mentioned in Sunday school, God has saved you and God's given you a purpose in life. And the purpose is not so that you can do what you want. Listen, we're not, we're not those kind of Christians who say, I'm saved. I know I've, I've been given eternal life. And so I can live like I want because I've got to get out of jail free pass I know I have a home in heaven. God promised it so I can live like the devil because God says, listen, you have a home in heaven now. No, that's, that's abusing our liberty. Understand this morning that we want to make sure that we are doing everything we can 
to help the success of the kingdom of God, God's business. But the problem is, and this is simple, you have to think about this, the problem is this, that today Christians are minding their own business. People say, well, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. But remember, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. Jesus wasn't about, he, now clearly he could have came to do what he wanted to do. He was God in the flesh. But Jesus said, I must work the works of him. When I look at the passage this morning, I think about this. Whose business then am I supposed to mind? Jesus in this text this morning, anybody remember how old he was? Twelve. How many of you know a twelve-year-old? Does that bring any thoughts to your mind right now? Twelve years old, that's dangerous age. You know, a lot of times they'll say twelve going on twenty. They're not a teenager yet, but they act like a teenager. Jesus was 12 years old when his parents, like every Jewish family would do, they went into Jerusalem. Jesus went with his parents. They went into town. They went into town for the Passover, the feast of the Passover. They had been there for the week. And just like everyone else, as they would come into the city of Jerusalem, they were now packed up and ready to go. You know, it's always a wonderful thing to go somewhere and enjoy it. But a lot of times when it's over with, the only thing you're thinking about is, I want to get home. How many of you love your bed? How many of you, how many of you, how many of you have a love affair with your bed? I do. Right now, I'm missing my bed. I mean, I'm, after church, I might just go home and hug my pillow, you know? You know, I, I love, yeah, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Most of you are probably good Baptists, and you'll take a Baptist nap today, you know? You know, my bed, my bed's very jealous because I don't spend enough time with it, you know? I, I'm in it and out of it before my bed even knows I'm gone. But when I think about this, Jesus was with his parents, and they're ready to head home. So, just like Many back in that day, it was a different form of travel. They, they traveled by caravan. They didn't have, you know, the modern transportations like we have nowadays. They didn't have segways. They didn't have, you know, all these fancy things that we have nowadays. They walked. They had wagons, uh, various types of things that they did. And they get on the road. They're heading back. They've got all their, the Bible says, kinsfolk. Anybody from that part of the country, kinsfolk? You know, few, few people are like that. You know, but they've got their cousins. I mean, I had 39 cousins just on my mom's side of the family. 39. So every time we got together, our one main goal was to drive my grandmother crazy. And we did it every time. But they were all together. They're traveling back. The Bible says that they, they get a whole day's journey away from the city. And I don't know who it was. I don't know if it was Joseph. I don't know if it was Mary. But... The reality is Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus has never sinned. He never did anything wrong. He was the perfect child. I know a lot of you right now, especially your mothers, are thinking, I've got one of those. No, you don't. They're devils because they're your children. But Jesus was perfect in every way. They get about an hour's journey away from the city, 
One of them says, hey, where's Jesus? They start looking frantically. They can't find him anywhere. They looked and asked and, and searched this wagon and looked here and there, and they couldn't find him anywhere among all those that were traveling. And as they frantically searched, they're like, oh, no, we've lost our child. Have you ever, as a parent, you ever been in a store and you tell your kids, stay with me now, and then you turn after looking at something and Johnny's gone? That ever happened to you? Look, I'm just going to confess, I lost my children many times, you know? <laughs> now, I know some of you are like, I'd like to lose my children, you know? But, but as a parent, you're, it's, listen, especially in this day we're living in with all this wickedness going on, my granddaughter, my oldest granddaughter, she has this, whatever it is, adventurous side about her or something, where she'll just wander away. You know, we were here at church, and we were talking, and my son-in-law said, uh, he says, they started yelling her name, and, you know, they couldn't find her. They're looking around, looking around. Uh, the Claire's parking lot next door, she had gone through the fence, was all the way over in the parking lot. You know, and, and the fear is, Somebody's going to see her and somebody's going to take her. You know, there's so many things going. And, and so you can imagine what's going on in, in Mary and Joseph's hearts. I mean, this is their child and they're looking around. And, and so, you know, they're like, well, he's nowhere among us. So they travel back. Now it's been three days. Can you imagine what your mom or especially your dad would do after three days and they found you? I know what that's like. My dad and I, we had a special kind of relationship. There were times when my dad showed me how much he loved me. And they find him after three days, and it's hard to be mad with a kid when you find him and he's sitting in church, he's in the temple. I mean, he's not out playing in the sandbox. He's not playing stickball in the street. He's in the temple. They come in, and there he is, 12 years old. He's sitting among the doctors, the theologians of the day. He's listening to them, and he's asking them questions. 12. Now, remember, Jesus was God... 100%. Would you agree with that? Yes. He was man 100%. Would you agree with that? Yes. So here he is, 12-year-old boy. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking to myself, I wonder what, these, wonder what these theologians of the day, as they're sitting there spewing out all their knowledge, their heads are about this big, they can't get through the doorways. And here's this kid, and he's sitting there listening to them. But the difference between him and them, besides age, is he knows all the answers. Somebody slipped him all the answers. He knew everything about everything. He knew more than they would ever forget. And he's sitting there among them, and here's Mary and Joseph, and they come in, and Mary and Joseph, they're upset. I mean, what parent wouldn't be upset? But then they're relieved, and then they're angry. I mean, why have you thus dealt with us? My mom would have said it this way, son, you're going to get it. 
But the Bible says then they, they were amazed. This is our son. And he's sitting here listening and asking questions. They were happy. That's my boy. But then again, they were angry. Don't you know what you put us through? Three days. I mean, your mother's been, she, look at all the marks on my arm. Your mother's been, her claws been going in my arm. I've been listening to her whine for three days about where you're at. But they, all these things, and they said, son, why have you thus dealt with us? I mean, why have you done this to us? And one of the things that Jesus used in the Bible that he does again here in this passage, and it's a tactic that he used that was very effective is they asked him a question and he answered their question with a question. <laughs> I, you know, every time I see that, and you listen, when you read your Bible, notice how many questions that Jesus gives in the Word of God. Whether it's him directly or indirectly, it's all the Word of God. It's all God's words. And Jesus said these words, how is it that you sought me? And then he throws another question in. Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? And Mary and Joseph, they didn't understand the statement that he made. And this, listen, this was the first time when Jesus said, and I hope you got this, I must be about my father's business. Who was Joseph? Well, to everybody that knew Jesus and Mary and Joseph, Joseph was Jesus' daddy, right? I mean, to, to earthly people, Joseph, it was Mary and Joseph and Jesus. So J Joseph was Jesus' father. This is the first time that Jesus makes a direct statement about his father. But if you look in your Bible, it's not a small letter F. It's a capital F. He makes a clear distinction about his real father. Because remember what the Bible says, that Mary conceived of the Holy Ghost. She didn't conceive of Joseph. Mary says, how can this be? Seeing I've never known a man. I mean, I, I don't understand how I can be with child. Remember what the Bible says, Joseph said, he thought to put her away privily. She's pregnant. How can she be pregnant? We, we haven't been together. And so Jesus makes this statement, Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? He gives a, the difference now between his earthly father and he says, I must be about my father's business. I mean, if you and I, if we're not supposed to mind our own business, then whose business are we supposed to mind? The answer is our father's business. That's whose business we're supposed to mind. If someone here today, if you're not a child of God, if you've never had a time in your life where you put your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior, you're trusting in Him and Him alone, not in anything that you can do. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If, if you've never had a time in your life where you have trusted in Christ, and by the way, salvation is a one time, it's a miracle of a moment, you only need to be saved one time. 
If you've never had that, then listen, this morning understand that you're under no obligation to involve yourself in God's business. But we who are saved, He is our Father this morning. Would you agree with that? And according to the Word of God, just like Jesus did, we too must be about our Father's business for the cause of Christ. When I look at this passage, part of Jesus growing up as a Jewish child, part of his education was in what is called the law and the prophets. You understand back when Jesus was on this earth that the word of God, the canon of scriptures, it was not yet complete. When we look at our Bible, we have two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Put all that together, you have 66 books that make up the canon of scriptures. But when you look at it, there was the, the, the classifications that the Jews would put on the word of God that was yet incomplete. In other words, in its entirety, there was no New Testament yet. And oftentimes they were put together, the books that we call books of the Bible, they were put together as the law and the prophets. Remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he saw Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And remember what Peter said? He says, oh, it's good to be here. This is a great place. He says, we need to build a tabernacle, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus. And that all sounds good, but the Bible says when they looked up, Moses was gone. Elijah was gone, but Jesus was standing there all by himself. Do you know who Moses represents? The law. The law cannot save a person. What is the Bible? The Bible is the word of God that leadeth us unto salvation. As we think about the word of God, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Are you with me this morning? And as we think about this, listen, it's the law and the prophets was two classifications. In other words, it was talking about all the Old Testament at that particular time. And so Jesus, as a young Jewish boy, he was instructed in the law and the prophets. Jesus was uh, very well acquainted with that. And by the age of 12, as a 12-year-old boy, Jesus had an understanding that he was needing to prepare himself for his father's business. I don't know how long you've been saved, how long you've been in Christ, but I hope since you've been saved that you're in the Word of God. I hope that you're studying the Word of God, reading the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God. I hope that, and I know this to be true, that God's Holy Spirit can help you to understand the Word of God so that you and I can prepare ourselves to be doing the Father's business. Just like Jesus at the age of 12, he understood that. Listen, it was, when I think of the Father's business, I'm not talking about Joseph's business of carpentry. Because that's what Joseph was by trade. I'm talking about his father's business, his kingdom business. Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. Far too many Christians today, they're so concerned about their own business instead of God's business. They, they take all the time for the things that they want to do. And then they somehow squeeze just a little bit of time and a little bit of energy in there for God to feel good about themselves. Most people, especially Christians, 
They, they don't give sacrificially to the Lord's work, but yet they find time and resources for the things that they want, for the special events in their lives. They're minding their own business as the first priority in their lives instead of God's business. And what happens is God ends up getting our leftovers. Can I tell you this morning, God's not interested in leftovers. You know what the Bible says God asks for? Our first fruits. God has an expectation for his children. And his expectation is that we will be about our father's business. God doesn't want your lip service. God wants a lifestyle. If we would quit minding our own business and start minding God's business, amazing things will start to happen in our lives. And I see this morning that, first of all, the father's business is great. You see, it's as great as our Father. You know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed, holy, be thy name. Our God is a holy God. The Lord is great. It was that perspective, that understanding of God that helped the man by the name of Nehemiah to do the work of God, to stay on the job that God had given him to do, to build the walls of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. The Bible says, Then I told him of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this, what kind of work? Good work. Can I tell you this morning, all of the work of God, everything that God would ask you to do, it's all a great work because it's God's work. And we understand that the father's business is great. A man once was talking to, to the man by the name of Warren Wearsby, and Wearsby did a lot of tremendous uh, devotionals and, and commentator, uh, commentary books on books of the Bible. He studied the word of God all of his life. And a man was talking to Warren Wearsby one day, and he was talking about the little bitty church that he had come from in North Carolina. And Wearsby stopped the man, and he said to the man kindly, he said, Brother, in God's work, there are no little churches. Every work is a great work. And that's the way we need to look at it, because notice the Father's business is as broad as the universe. The Bible says, Jesus spake and said unto them, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. The whole universe was created by him and for him. And by the way, he is the only one that can redeem us from our sins. The Father's business is as broad as the universe. But notice, the Father's business is as deep as the need of the human heart. And by the way, there is great needs even represented here this morning. Our Lord is still in the business of changing lives. The Bible says in Colossians 1, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. If you're saved this morning, you have passed from death unto life. You've stepped out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And the Father's business is great this morning because it is as deep as the need of any human heart this morning. Notice thirdly, it is God's business is as long as the ages. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath what kind of life? Everlasting. How long is everlasting? Forever. 
Can I tell you this morning, if you're not saved, everyone will spend eternity in one of two places. Say, so how do you know that, Pastor? The Bible says so. And those two places are heaven or hell. There's no in-between. It never was there. Can I tell you this morning that if you are in Christ, you have a home in heaven. But if you don't, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, then right now you are bound for a Christless eternity. And the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Do you know that God doesn't want anyone to go to hell? If you're here this morning, it doesn't matter what you've done, what, you, what your past has been. God loves you. He loves you so much that he gave his son for you. And God doesn't want anyone. People say, I just can't believe God sends people to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. The grace of God is evident, folks, because he loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. See, this morning, the choice is yours. And the work of God, God's business is great because it is as long as the ages. But notice the Father's business is as high as the heavens. I love Psalm 73, verse 24 and 25. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. Now, did you hear what the psalmist said? He says, while I'm here on this earth, the only person that I really care about, the only person that I want to be with, the only person that means anything to me is you. And he says, and when I get to heaven, although I may see loved ones, and although I might get an opportunity to talk to Paul and Peter and, and, and David and Moses, really the only person I'm looking forward to seeing is you. I wonder this morning, do you understand how great our God is? The Father's business, it's great. But notice, I love this, that the time that God began his work, we see that from that time, secondly, the Father's business is growing. The Bible says, and I want you to notice the progression. Because remember I said Jesus was well-versed in education when it came to the law and the prophets. But as we continue in the Word of God, now that the Word of God has been completed, that as we got over into the New Testament of the Bible, notice the Bible says in Luke 6, and when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. That's another word for followers. And the Bible says, and of them he chose how many? Twelve. Whom he also named apostles. Acts 1.5. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and, he, and said, notice in parentheses, the number of the names together were how many? How many? 120. How many of you understand 12 turned into how many? 120. Let's continue. Acts 2.41, and then they that gladly received his word. 
were baptized. That means that they believed the word of God. They put their faith in Christ. They followed the Lord in believer's baptism. And the number of the, the Bible says, the same day that were added unto them, how many people? 3,000. 12 to 120 to 3,000. Are you with me? Next verse. By the way, notice in your Bible, these are in progression. These are chronological. Acts 4.4, Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was how many? How many of you think they're having church growth here? Why are they growing? Because they're believing the word. They're believing God's word. They're believing God's business. And because of God's business being great, God's business is growing. Uh, Listen, if you're in business, you don't go into business to go into debt. You don't go into business so that you go in the hole. You go into business so that you can grow, you can flourish, that you can experience growth in your business. Look in Acts 6, the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples, what's the next word? Multiplied. Remember the last verse? There was added unto them 3,000. Now there's multiplication going on. How many of you know, because the one verse says the number of the men were 5,000. There had to be women because somebody's got to keep an eye on all those men. Right? You know? So, look, if, if I'm going to do my math, and I know preachers do math a little bit different than other people because when people say, well, how many people do you have at church? Listen, if I see a dog walking out on our parking lot, I'm counting it, okay? But I'm going to tell you this, at this particular junction, 12, 120, 3,000, 5,000, multiplied, added, I'm thinking to myself, we're probably somewhere in the area about fifteen or 20,000 folks. And that's just the beginning. God's business is growing. Well, how do we know this? The Bible says the number of the disciples were multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Wait a minute, the priests? Yeah, how many of you know that if you've read your Bible enough, you know that there are even people who are religious, but they're lost. They know all about the Word of God, but they don't know the God of the Word. And the Bible says... Even priests were starting to put their faith in Christ. Now, where does all this come from? Well, Jesus talked about it before all this happened in the book of Acts. Because notice in Matthew 13, look what Jesus said in Matthew 13. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and it becometh a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. What is God saying? What is the parabolic teaching about? It is about the fact that God's business, although it may have had a small beginning, a small start, of 12 people like a seed that God's kingdom continues to grow. 12 men who had very little or no resources. They had no university education. They they really didn't have much of a background. They had no financial backing. 
They were, they, the odds were against them because they were dealing with the Roman Empire. They had the intellectual philosophies of the day, the Greeks and, and the Stoics and all those of the day, the religious prejudice of the Jews against them. But listen, it was these men that the Bible says that they turned the world upside down, all because the word of God increased. See, God's business, it's great. And despite what the world would say, can I say that as God's word continues to go forth, that God's business is still growing. It's still growing, folks. People are still getting saved. I believe with all my heart that God would still, the door is still open. There is still an opportunity for people to put their faith in Christ. If you're here today, don't leave without Jesus in your heart. You see, God's business, the Father's business is great. It's growing. But notice, thirdly, the Father's business is guaranteed. How many of you would like a business that was guaranteed, right? You know, I buy, I buy a car, and I'm like, okay, what's the warranty? How long does it last? Because I know as soon as I drive this car off your parking lot, something's going to fall off of it. Something's going to fall apart. I mean, I, mean, I want a guarantee. And in life, can I tell you that there are no guarantees? you know, in this life. But when I think about God's business, the Father's business, Jesus said in Matthew 16, thou art Peter. The word Peter, Petros, it means a little stone. There's no mistake why Jesus called Peter, Peter. Matter of fact, if you look at the name Paul, it also means small, a little stone, Jesus was trying to help these. Listen, they, they lived in a day when you gave a name to somebody and there was great significance and meaning behind that name. People always ask me, what's your name? I told a lady yesterday at, at a restaurant, I said, Dane. And she looked at me and she goes, Dave? And I said, Dane. People do not get it. Dane. They look at me and they're like, Dane. Dane. And it's, it's it, you know, I'm going to have to talk to my mom and dad again someday because <laughs> the, the only way I can get people to understand my name is to say, you know, like the big dog. That's the only way that I can get people to understand my name. I live next door to this, this older couple whenever we were first married. And I'm going to tell you, for, for the entire time we lived there, I, she'd come out, she'd say my name, and she'd always say it wrong, and I'd say, it's Dane. And then, and then five minutes later, she'd say, she'd say, now, uh, Dana, she said, I said, it's Dane. And then she called me Dana again. I wanted to buy her hearing aid for Christmas. And people say, I say, you know, like the big dog. And then they'll say, oh, like the great Dane. And then I always have to say to them, well, you said that I didn't, you know, because I'm not a, I'm not a great Dane. Now, I might look like one, but I'm not one. But Jesus said, listen, thou art Peter. Now, now look here, before I read the rest, just get that. He says, look, you're, you're just Peter. I, I don't want to, you know, I hope you understand this right, but here, we got a Peter sitting back here. Can I say to you this morning, my brother, you're just Peter. You're, you're just Patrick. You're just Guy. You're just Osvaldo. You're just Brady. 
you're just Dane. Thou art Peter. Do you get what Jesus is saying to him? He says, listen, without me, without me, you can do nothing. But look at it. He says, upon this rock. Now, if you've ever taken some time, and by the way, you don't need to know, you know, you don't, when it comes to digging in the Word of God, studying the Word of God, I hope you study the Bible. And if you look into this, here's what you find is when, when he used the word rock, it's the word Petra. Now, there's a city, Petra, an ancient city, Petra. And if you've ever seen a picture of Petra, it's this massive rock structure. And here's what Jesus is saying. He goes, Peter, look. He says, he says upon this rock, upon this Petra, he says, but thou art Peter. Here's what he's saying. Don't miss it. He goes, you're just a little pebble that fell off of that Petra. He says, upon this rock. He wasn't pointing at Peter. He didn't build his church upon Peter. God's business is great because it's built upon God. He says upon, he, he was pointing to himself. He was placing the emphasis on, on God. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Look, if I built it on you, Peter, it's going down. But he says, upon me, upon this rock, upon the Father's business, and I want you to see that God's purpose, it cannot be hindered. Jesus said, I will build my church. That's the purpose. You can't hinder, you can't. Look, everybody has tried. Hitler tried. There have been many people historically over the years. Satan tried in the garden. But Jesus said, I will build my church. He is God and the purpose cannot be hindered. But notice, God's program cannot be diverted. The gates of hell, they're going to try everything. They're going to try every resource available. They're going to put whoever they can in the White House. They're going to make anybody the speaker of the house. And it doesn't matter who he or she is. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of God. Jesus said, listen, you cannot divert God's program and notice God's power. It cannot be withstood. See, listen, when it comes to God's kingdom and the business of God, it's guaranteed success. It's certain. Listen, let's resolve that in our lives that we're going to live for the cause of Christ, that we're going to be about our Father's business. And the best part about it is, is because it's His business, God never changes. He says, I am the Lord, I change not. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, the world changes. The fashions change. God is always in vogue. Yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change. And if we're going to be about our Father's business, listen, listen, listen. If we're going to be about our Father's business, we must change. We must stop minding our business and start minding His business. The Father's business, notice, write it down, 
It starts with a change in priorities. A change in priorities. Jesus was 12. Remember we talked about that? Listen, think to yourself for a minute. What would a 12-year-old boy do? Well, even back in that day, 12-year-old boys might be doing chores. They might be playing with their friends. They might be wrestling with their friends. They might be looking for something fun to do, but not Jesus. What is he doing? He's 12 years old. He's sitting in the temple. He's listening to them talking about the Word of God, and he identified, even as a 12-year-old boy, that he needed to prepare himself for his father's business. He had a priority, and his priority was to step up to that opportunity that was given to him as he was being trained during his early days as a 12-year-old boy. The Apostle Paul understood the same thing. When you look at this, look at Philippians 3, Paul writes, what things were gained to me, Get a hold of this. He says, I counted loss for who? Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things, not some. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. Hope I don't have to define that word for you this morning. But he says, I count them all dung that I may win what? Christ. For the cause of Christ. It wasn't about Paul's standing or Paul's position or Paul's wealth. See, all those things to Paul, just like to Jesus, they were just a waste of time. What do you spend your days and your your resources on? Is it stuff that honestly, 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 it's just a waste of time, waste of money, waste of resources. For Paul and for Jesus, it was about God. It was what God offered to him through Jesus Christ. And the offer to Paul, which is the same offer today, it was an invitation to be in the family of God, to be a part of the kingdom of God, to be about the Father's business. And listen, when you and I, when we begin to be about the Father's business, guess what's going to happen? Our priorities are going to change. See, we won't find or even make excuses why we don't serve God. We'll start to respond to opportunities to do the things, listen, that God wants us to do. What is it that God wants you to do? Priorities and excuses, you know what they are? Here's what they are. Somebody said they are signs that we have a problem of minding our own business and avoiding or ignoring our father's business. When we desire to become uh, our, uh, when our desire becomes our priority and not God's, listen, listen, that we ourselves begin focused on what we want. When, when we set that by the wayside, we begin to do what the Father wants, what Jesus did. He says, I came to do the will of him that sent me. Then here's what we'll find is our priorities change to where now we'll find ourselves the purpose of life is to serve others to show love to other people, to give them hope, to to share the word of God with them, to bring them out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look, we can't save someone, but we can certainly point them towards the Lord. And listen, our desire, as we think about the Father's business, it ought to bring about a change in our priorities. But notice also the Father's business will involve a change in our schedules. Now, I hope you get this this morning. And I hope you understand my heart is this, I'm glad you're here this morning because the reality is 
You could have stayed at home in your bed and had that love affair this morning. You could have went out to breakfast this morning. You could have done anything at all, but you chose to come to the house of God. But I hope that you came for the right reason instead of it was something on my schedule. Because, listen, you can't schedule God. He needs to be a part of your life every day, all day, every day. And when I think about how they were there in Jerusalem, uh, Jesus' family, they came in for that feast day and they were there for the week, the festivities. They had a schedule. That's what, that's what the Passover became to many Jewish families. It was something that they had to do every year. They had to keep that. And they were on a schedule. Jesus, I love it when I study the, the Word of God, here's what I find is Jesus was not focused on a schedule. Jesus was open to interruption. Remember when Jesus was going with the man whose daughter was sick, and as he was going, someone touched the hem of his garment? Remember it was the woman that had the infirmity? Everybody remember how long she was sick? 12 years. How old was the girl that he was going to see? 12. And remember Jesus said, someone touch me. Remember what his disciples said? He's like, is the, if I put it in modern day, are you kidding me? There's so many people here. Anybody could have touched you. But you know what I find about Jesus is no matter what he was doing, no matter how busy he was, he was always willing to be interrupted. A lot of, our, a lot of you even have, told, have said to me, Pastor, I hate to borrow, bother you. Can I tell you, you're never bothering me unless you wake me up out of sleep. God's called me to, to preach the Word of God and to be a pastor. And that's something that I take very seriously. And part of being a pastor is being available. So listen, you don't have to apologize to me. Pastor, I'm sorry that I'm, I'm bothering you. You're not bothering. I want to be like Jesus, that I always have time for my family, my kids, my wife, my church family. But even more than that, that I always want to have time for God. You see, they were so scheduled that Jesus was, he was open to interruptions. And when we mind our own business, guess what happens? We're too busy even to be interrupted. We're too busy to worry about someone that might have a need in their life. Jesus never, he never, you can look at the word of God. Jesus never told someone, hey, don't bother me. Get away from me. Leave me alone. No, you know who that was? That was the disciples. Tell these people to go home. That's what they wanted to do. And Jesus said, no, make them sit down. And Jesus took the loaf, the, the lunch, he blessed it and broke it and he fed them. The disciples would have just sent them on their way and they probably would have fainted. But a lot of them might even have died before they got home. You know, like some of you right now, you're like, if you don't hurry up and finish, I got to go to lunch. I'm going to die if I don't get to lunch. Can I tell you, you just think you're going to die or it's your own fault because you skipped breakfast, all right? One or the other. But Jesus was never too busy. And, and listen, when I think, I think of myself, as busy as I am, and, and I'm sure every one of us is busy, can I tell you that none of us are anywhere near as busy as Jesus was? And you think about what he accomplished in his life while he was on this earth. 
And in most of us, honestly, Jesus was on this earth, many believe it was about 33, 33 and a half years. I'm 55. I know I look like I'm 21, but I'm 55. <laughs> so think about it, how much longer I, and maybe you, have lived longer than Jesus was, have we accomplished even a portion in our lives of what he did in 33 and a half years? His, really, his earthly ministry, as we call it, really began when he was 30. Three and a half years, he really accomplished so much. He was understanding that the work of God was great, the Father's business. Jesus perfectly fulfilled his Father's will, the purpose that his Father had for him. The night before Jesus went to the cross, remember what Jesus prayed? He said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. Finished it. That's what Paul said. He says, I have finished my course. I wonder if we're even doing anything for the cause of Christ. Because if we're not, we'll never be able to say, I finished it, because maybe we've never started it. Maybe it's in progress right now. Jesus finished all that he planned, all that was planned for him. But think about this, that even though the plan of salvation was complete, and by the way, it is, Jesus paid it all. We don't have to do anything else to be saved. If we do, if we add something to what Jesus did, we're making what he, what he did of none effect. And there's nothing that can be added. Jesus said, he said, it is finished to telestai. But there is still a work to be done. And that's where you and I come in. That's why God is saying to us, you need to stop minding your business. And you need to start minding my business, the Father's business. He left a work for us to finish. God certainly doesn't need our help and God doesn't need our talents, but God has chosen to let us be a part of his plan for our world. I was reading this account, it was a true story about this group of German students years ago. They volunteered, German students, they volunteered to go to England not long after the end of the Second World War. And they, in an effort, in their minds and their hearts, they wanted to try to help restore some things. And so they, they wanted to try to help heal the, the, the bad blood between the two nations. And so they planned to help England. And one of the things that they chose to do was to restore an English cathedral that had been badly damaged by the German bombs during the Blitz. So one of the items that they worked on, there was this statue. And it was a statue of Jesus, and he, he, he was constructed with his arms held wide open. And there was an inscription on it that said this, Come unto me. It's right out of the Bible. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But the inscription on it, with his arms held open wide, just said, Come unto me. But because of the bombing, it was badly destroyed. And they began, these students began to work together with some English students, and they were trying to 
repair this. And they were having great difficulty with one part of the statue. The very ends of it, the hands. They were having a hard time trying to reconstruct or reattach, try to make it look like it wasn't its original form. So after talking it over with the church officials, there was an agreement among them, the students and the church officials, and they decided to leave the hands off the statue. No hands at all. But when they did that, they changed the inscription on it. Instead of it saying, come unto me, the new inscription read this, Christ has no hands but ours. I think they understood the spirit of not minding their own business, but minding God's business. Let me give you two verses, and I want you to see these and we'll be done. Look what Jesus said in John 14. I don't know if you've ever really thought about these verses. But the Bible says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. The word verily means truly. Verily, verily, I say unto you. He's saying this is true. He that believeth on me. How many of you are saved this morning? Okay, now, now watch. Look at the verse. <clears throat> he that believeth on me. The works, Jesus said, that I do, the works that Jesus does, shall he, he that believeth on him, shall he do also. And greater works than these, the works that I did, he was God. He says, greater works than these shall he do. Who's the he? He that believeth on me. Because I go into my Father. What is he saying here? Look, he's saying that no one, no one else can do exactly what you can do for God. Greater works you will do for God. Greater, Jesus says, than even I did. It's a wonderful thing to be about God's business because God's business is great. And God wants to see more people come into his kingdom and grow and God understands that, listen, when we are doing God's business, His business is guaranteed. So this morning, can I tell you, God is saying to us, stop minding your own business and start minding God's business. Would you bow your heads this morning? Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be here. And I pray that if there is someone this morning who knows in their heart that they've never trusted you as Savior, that, Lord, they would put their faith, their trust, their confidence in you for their eternity. And if we are saved this morning, then we're under a direct obligation to be about your business, to stop minding our business. Our business doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is we must, we must be about our Father's business. Bless the invitation in Jesus' name. Would you stand?